0: So how tired are you right now?
1: You know, surprisingly not as bad as I thought I was going to be. I'm surviving. I'm okay.
0: It, it seems like you were almost better off than a, l- a lot of people at the finish, despite having a really pretty harrowing day on the bike.
1: Yeah, it was quite the day.
0: Was have you, It was almost exactly 12 hours, right? Have, have you spent that much time on a bike before?
1: Uh, No, no. no. So and I didn't plan on spending that much time on a bike either. That wasn't my plan for the day for sure
0: so it, p- point to point was yesterday um if you're not familiar you should be this is the biggest race in utah arguably with the biggest mountain bike race in the country i think you could make a really good argument that it's not being the biggest it's it's the hardest it's it's um 72 miles i think it's more like 76 76 miles about 10,000 feet of climbing 10,600. yeah really really insane race uh this was dan's second year doing it year one um, took about nine hours. No, it was,
1: it was 945. I 945.
0: Think. Okay. Um, for reference, like the fastest, I don't actually know what Keegan's time was yesterday, but right around the six hour mark for the very fastest pros. Um, historically the course has changed several times over the past few years. Um, but yeah, 12 hours on the bike yesterday, which was longer than you expected. Um, do you want to, do you want to tell the story of your, of your big day out on the bike yesterday? Well, yeah,
1: so, you know, and just kind of leading up to point to point, I just have had some kind of bad luck lately. Um, like my bike was having all sorts of issues. We had bearings going out. We had, uh, we were just, rep- I was just trying to get everything just right for it. Um, but we had bearings going out like the night before the race. I like it was just shifting terribly. I decided to check my trailer hanger. I noticed it was bent so I was carefully trying to bend it back. And I was just thinking, you know, with my luck lately, I'm probably going to break this. I need to be really careful. Long story short, I broke the derailleur hanger. This is like 11 o'clock at night, the night before the race. I'm salvaging one off of Jacob's bike. Don't tell him. He doesn't,
0: he doesn't listen to the podcast, so he won't find yeah, out.
1: So he's not going to know. But um, it almost reminds me of it's kind of like. Dobby didn't want me to go to point to point. That's a Harry Potter reference. for Very millennial reference. for
0: for, I think there are zero millennials that that listen to this or deal with us. You're either older or younger than that. That's for your parents. I don't
1: know. But anyhow, um, just leading up to it, uh, I I just kind of had some bad luck. In fact, um, I kind of thought like when I started out, I'm like, you know what? I've had some bad luck, but things are going to go smooth. The race starts out on this like paved path through Round Valley, and I had my suspension locked out. Right before we we're about to turn on to dirt, I push on my suspension lockout to unlock it, to go under the dirt, and the little ring that holds it on just snaps right there. And, and like so my lockouts just dangling. And so I had to start out Round Valley without suspension and I had to use two hands to unlock it and everything. I'm like, okay, so maybe, maybe I'm not gonna be as lucky as I thought yet. But you know, I um, point to points kind of my big thing every year. I mean, I pretty much spend all year just trying to be ready to do that. And um, I had a goal that I was gonna shave an hour off of my time last year. I've, that's kind of what I worked on all year long. And, um, I ended up adding two hours to the time, which, which wasn't my goal. Um, so, you know, first thing I think I went out too hard, you know, when I, I started out in a faster group and it, it almost felt more like my eye cup pace the right we were going at the start and I'm kind of like the whole time I'm like
0: this is a mistake
1: I'm like okay I'm going to probably pay for this later but it's kind of fun so
0: but that's the story of point to point I've worked point to point for five or six years now and it's always so funny to see the expressions of people's faces when they are exiting Round Valley and you can always tell who's going to pull out at Deer Valley based on how they're looking there you know like it's it is it is a huge mistake to go and burn all of your matches in the first 45 minutes of a six hour race you know
1: yeah, I, I was slightly conservative, but, but probably not conservative enough. So um, you exit Round Valley, you get on to Prospector. And while I was writing on Prospector, I I felt something fall out of my pocket. And I thought it was a Rice Krispie treat. And I'm kind of like, oh, well, I mean, there were like 50 people right behind me, 50 people ahead of me. I'm like, whatever I dropped it doesn't matter. I can't, like, yeah. I can't
0: stop. And then I we should also say like, there are people who go in and, and clean stuff up. Like it's, it's understood that like, if you drop something at point to point, it's not the end of the world. Oh yeah. It's not like, yeah. If I was yeah. If you were just just to clarify, like if you drop something out on a ride, you should, you should pick it up. If you know that somebody is, if you've paid 200 bucks to do a race and part of that is that they're going to clean it up. That's a different story. Just quick
1: disclaimer there. So a while later, I'm, I, uh, I use a lot of salt tablets. They're very important to me. I I get like towards the end of prospector, I'm like, oh, I'm past due for taking my salt tablets. I usually take them in Round Valley. I hadn't taken any yet. It was time to take them. I was past due. I was behind my schedule. I have a little schedule that I keep and I reach in my back pocket and I couldn't find them. They have this big, neat little container that I keep them in.
0: It's, a, it's an M&M's container. It's, it's really cute. We're sad to have lost it. I'm,
1: I know. I'm going to have to go buy some more M&M's. I bought the M&M's, dumped them out, put salt tablets in them.
0: That's, that's how you know your life's in a good place. When you buy M&M's, dump them out, and put salt tablets in. So I've got to go buy more. If that's not a dead canary in a coal mine, <laughs> I don't know what is.
1: So I'm like, oh, no, I don't have my salt tablets. And I'm like, well, I'm drinking Scratch. I'll probably be okay, but this isn't great. So, long story short, I um, I did find well actually a, on prospect, or a lady wanted to pass me, and which I thought was kind of crazy because there were about a hundred people in front of me, hundred people. I'm like, uh, sure, go for it. I scooted off, I got out of the way so she could pass me. I had to put my foot down. When I put my foot down. My leg cramped. I'm like, no, I am not supposed to be cramping on Prospector. This is not good.
0: Cramping uh, on Prospector means you're probably not finishing. For yeah. the record, like, like yeah. nine times out of ten, when you cramp on Prospector, which is like the first, fifth it's the beginning of, this of the race. race. If yeah, if yeah, you that, shouldn't even be tired by now. Yeah, yeah, you're in huge, huge, huge trouble. And and so
1: I went on, and then after I I did okay. I was feeling decent, not great. Um, but after Johnson, I started climbing Jenny's all of a sudden I started feeling that little twinge in my leg and I just knew cramping was coming on. And when cramping comes on, there's not much you can do. You just kind of have to back down on the power, just ease up. And I tried to just ease up. I tried to drop my pace. I tried to reset some of my goals. And basically from that point on, I, dealt with pretty much debilitating cramping the entire time it got to a point where you know and I, and I ran into a guy I knew on the trail and he gave me a couple salt tablets which which helped a little bit you know helped a lot for that but pretty much the entire ride I was only able to go you know a few hundred yards and then I would have to stop and stretch and massage the cramp out or just do whatever I can and it was just it was just getting, it was really, really painful. My, my leg was in so much pain. And I got to a point where I'm like, I pick up the phone, I call Joe. I'm like, hey, Joe, can you meet me at PCMR? There's just no way I'm going to be able to finish this race. And Joe's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, I am sure. Just let's, I've made up my mind. I um, clarify,
0: I was already at PCMR and had been for a long time. I basically had to get on my bike and ride, because I was planning on riding the last third with you. From PCMR, And so I got back on my bike and rode all the way back to uh, skull candy over by UOP to pick up the van. And then you call me and say, Oh, Hey, I'm actually going to finish, which, which I was like, I, I know I'm jumping ahead in your story here, but I was like, no, you're not. There's no way you that's, that's impossible. You, you can't do that. I, I, I didn't, I didn't believe it. I thought I was going to have to like, you know, life flight you out somewhere in the canyons, you know?
1: But I, I called Joe and I'm like, there's just no way I'm going to finish. And I remember, I was like, I was, I was on three candles just above the yurt and there's this road that takes you right back to the yurt and right next to the yurt is the Mojave trail. And the Mojave trail is just a really sentimental trail to me. It's like the first time I've ever experienced an actual flow trail. And it's one of the few I actually care to admit that I enjoy. Um, but I just have really sentimental feelings about Mojave. I just thought, you know what? That would be such a good day. Just to, I had a great workout. I could just ride down Mojave, just head back to the PCMR. Um, you know, I wouldn't have any permanent damage done. That would be good. I'm and I was just standing there with my hands on my handlebars, and I kept turning them towards to go down to Mojave. And I'm like, I wanted to so bad. It just sounded so awesome. And then I thought, okay, you know what? Maybe I can go just a little bit further and I'll turn back then. So I kept riding up and I kept doing that over and over i'm my like, okay And eventually I got to a point where I will okay, I'm going to have to at least finish the second section. You know, I just kept limping along the second section of point to point. Um you get to a point where once you're by Shadow Lake, you just descend down CMG, pretty Keystone and CMG the whole way. You know, as I was doing that, I started to feel a little bit better. But the whole time I'm thinking, you know what? I am so disappointed. My time is not going to be what I was set, what, what my goal was for it to be. Um, I'm really disappointed in my time. And quite frankly, I don't want people to know how slow I am today. And and I thought about it. I'm like, oh, wait. So, you know, if, if someone offered me a million dollars to keep going could I I'm like yeah I'm like if someone had a gun to my head and told me to keep going would I? I'm i like well I'd prefer the million dollars but yeah and and I realized I'm like so the main reason I want to stop is because quite frankly I was embarrassed about the time I was going to finish at, and I thought you know would I want any of my Maybird kids to ever pull out of a race for that same reason? I'm like, no, I wouldn't. I would want them to finish if they could, if it was safe to. And so once I got down to the, to the to main park city, I just, I called Joe. I'm like, you know what, Joe? I, I, when I looked down at my computer too, and I'd already climbed like 8,000 feet. I'm like, what's another 3,000 feet? I can do this. I'm just going to limp along. I'm going to finish it. My time's going to suck. And you know what? All my friends on Maybird are still probably going to like me, even if I have a bad time on point to point. Except for me. <laughs> and, and that's I, so I called you. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to finish this. And I just, I just kind of limped along the whole way. Went really slow. Had to stop a lot to massage, to stretch. Um, I was able to get a few salt tablets. They gave me like two salt tablets at the aid station, which is, not much for me, you know, and I fought cramping the entire time and it, it was, it wasn't fun, but I finally made it to the top of Ironman where you start to descend. And for once you make it to that point in the race, it's mostly downhill. There's a good climb by like Silver Lake Lodge, but it's mostly kind of downhill from there. And once I finished Ironman and I started descending the other side of it, it was honestly one of the most joyful, happy experiences I've ever felt on the bike. I was just so happy I was able to at least finish this stupid race. My time was a total disappointment to me. It wasn't what I set out for. And, and two, it kind of made me realize, you know, um, for a lot of these kids that work so hard, they work all year for a big, important event. And if it doesn't go the way you want it, how hard that can be. And it kind of helped me understand that a little bit more. But that whole ride down I actually started to enjoy myself I was you know Park City was beautiful I mean one good thing about being that slow that day is it actually cooled down and it wasn't as hot and I was just able to enjoy how beautiful all these trails were and how beautiful this place was and I was just so incredibly happy and so I don't know I just wanted to to share that experience we had a lot of coaches that rode and did well and heck of a lot better than I did and you know and And I was glad I went on sometimes, you know, it's smart to pull out if it's dangerous to keep going. And I didn't think it would be for me. I just, um, but it was, it was quite the day. I think it was brutal for, I mean, at one point I thought, you know what? Today is not easy for anybody. You know, it's, it's just a brutal day. It was really, really hot. And, but I, I think I learned a lot and I'm, I honestly can't wait to do it again. In fact, I kind of want to do it again this year with my boys if they'll do it with me just for a little bit of redemption. I want to do it right, but we'll see if that happens.
0: I don't want to belabor this point, but like we're not saying that like, you know, somebody who's like in a race and you hit your head on a tree really hard and I was seeing stars and couldn't remember my name, but I kept going. That's not that's not what we're encouraging here. If you're heat stroked that, you know, don't you know, please use good judgment. If your legs cramping and it's uncomfortable, you know, we'll we'll give you a pat on the back for finishing. But like, you know. Yeah. I should... I just don't want to be in, like, a deposition someday and, like, you know...
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's times when it's when you should pull out, but... Our non-existent I, I lawyers was,
0: advised us to tell you, you know, to use yeah. common sense and that, you know, mountain biking has risks. Please But I was kind you. of...
1: I was wanting to pull out for kind of the wrong reason, and...
0: So. That is a good point. That Like, I've had... I had my whole senior year of NICA, just every single race, I was like, oh, man, I, I thought I was going to be better than this. I'm doing poorly, and, like, you know, they're... The temptation to like just like it's almost feels like it's better in your head to just not finish than finish poorly. I think, I think that's a lot of people's natural impulse, but that's not a good one, you know. Like, if it's not going well, I think it's still commendable, and I think maybe in some ways more commendable this year to finish. I think it's probably more of a mental challenge to finish this year than last year, right? Oh, last year I was so
1: ready. I the whole ride I felt great, I never really had any dark moments. In fact, I finished it thinking wow, that wasn't that bad. I felt great the whole time. And this year was an entirely different experience. And, you know, my fitness was the same it was, it was about the same. I had about, I was over my goal. My goal is to get to hundred CTL before point to And I did that last year. I did that this year. Um, I took some time. I, you know, I rested up a little bit before it. I was following a similar nutrition plan. Um, I think the two things that were different was I, I probably went off a little too hard, but, but not like last year for point to point, I, I took three salt tablets each hour, you know, and that's kind of on the high end, but, um, you know, so, um, but other than that, you know, the, the, they were equal. It was just a hot, rough year.
0: so few shout outs we had we had several neighbored folks representing yesterday uh my big shout out is Tate, Tate Larkin um first point to point um and doing point to point in the middle of of, of his nika block um Tate looked ridiculously strong all day paced like a pro um huge shout out to Tate uh, Bo Foreman was out there um you know i i uh, Bo is is kind of the king of big hard long rides but i think yesterday was you know
1: I think he uh, felt it a little bit, which for Bo, he,
0: really, he doesn't feel much. I was going to say, if, if Bo is feeling something, the rest of us are in huge trouble. Um, oh, who are the other Maybird folks? We, so had we had Amy there? Larkin. Amy Larkin. Who, huge shout out to Amy.
1: So I, She started ahead of me just a little bit, and I wanted to catch her. I never did. She's like She's like a world-class athlete. I'm not at all. I wasn't able to, you know. Yeah, it was part of why I went out too hard, but she had a great race. Um, Chris Hull was there. We had, yeah, there were, there were quite if a few. If you did
0: point to point yesterday and we forget you, please don't take it personally. I, I didn't interface with that many people yesterday. I was, um, you know, just working for Dan. So if, if I missed you, I didn't see shout out to everyone. I mean, shout out to everyone who finished the race or not. Shout out to everyone who tried the race. It's, it's a big old, it's a big old event. You know, it, it isn't easy. Um, uh, like even just to like put your name on a paper and you know, pay to do something like that. So bravo to everyone, you know, who, who, who took a crack at it yesterday.
1: You know, and I think the best thing about point to point is getting ready for point to point. It's just an awesome event to prepare for. You can't, you really can't fake it. You have to have a lot of miles in your legs to be able to finish. Um, so I really hope that, you know, a lot of kids, after they graduate from NICA, it's something they plan to do. And, and it's awesome because it's something you can do till you're 70 years old., you know, just kind of make that a tradition to, to do that right. And yeah,
0: it's a good benchmark. Like if you're in good enough shape to take a crack at point to point every year, you're, you're, you're doing things right. You know I don't think you have to be. Um, but like it's a great. Like if, if you are finishing school um, or if you have finished high school and are just kind of feeling lost for something to, for the next big challenge, Um, like for me, I've been kind of trying to build up, you know, two point to point for years now, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of the king of being able to go hard for an hour or two, but really struggling past the three, four hour mark. So I've spent the last few years trying to, you know, push out my rides a little longer and I'd, I'd love within the next few years here to be able to, to get through it myself. But, um, yeah, big old crazy thing. And you're right, Park City is cool. Like, I was riding around between, you know, having to drop off cars in one place and then ride over and whatever. Um, I, I was out riding uh, on the road, and and I hear somebody coming up behind me, and, and someone's like, hey, can I sneak by it? It's it's Peter Sagan with, like, three or four of his buddies. And I had this moment where I'm like, I'm in a really cool place where I'm, like, helping service this, like, 75-mile, all-single-track mountain bike race, and a three-time cycling world champion goes, you know, like, just – Eat your heart out, Boulder. Park City's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, ju- jumping ahead, uh, we like to knock out a couple tech questions here. And I understand that Dan uh, uh, has... has. So are, are we ready for that? Yeah, yet?
1: yeah. These are actually my own. C- can I be a listener submitted question? Person? Yeah, I,
0: I will allow it. Yes, okay. I will allow
1: it. So these are things I hear tossed around. I kind of know what they mean, but I kind of don't. So. Um, so the first
0: one is what is boost boost so um we'll start here uh bicycle axles the, your the, the axle of your bicycle is essentially the little stick that goes through your hub and that your frame sits on top of right and for years and years and years we used quick release axles on all bikes on road bikes on cyclocross bikes on mountain bikes on downhill bikes on everything right and and you're probably familiar if you, if you have an, an um you know a, like a rim brake road bike you'll know it's like a an, an an axle that's maybe three or four millimeters thick at most and then has like a flip chip on the end like like a flip lever on the end and a little screw on one end. Um, gosh, I don't actually know how long it. Maybe 15 years ago at the earliest. More ten, probably more like 10 years ago you started seeing uh, what we call a through axle on mountain bikes. And those are three or four times as thick. They are threaded on one, almost always they'll be threaded on one end, I'll have the lever you just spin on the other end. Um, and then instead of having like a little upside down U on either end of your frame, you know, where the wheels go in, you have like a full circle where you basically stick the through axle in through one end and thread it through the other. I think people understand that. Um, and when through axles came out, gosh, I'm trying to remember like I said, maybe, maybe 10, probably like 10 years ago. um, They all had the same dimension, which was, they were about, they were 142 millimeters in the back and 100 millimeters at the front. And road and mountain bikes used the same standard, right? I should say that mountain bikes picked it up first. So basically mountain bikes started using these 142 millimeter long axles. And then road bikes started using the 142 millimeter long axles. And it was amazing because for like 28 seconds, we had an industry standard. And then somebody decided, like, hey, you know, mountain bikes were starting to use these bigger 29-inch wheels on them, and um, they're really wobbly. You know, the wheel's getting longer. There's, there's The force from the ground is, is more significant when it's exerted at a longer length. Um, what if we made hubs wider? Um, what if we made the spacing between the, the either end of your frame uh, wider, right? Because if you can make it wider, then the spokes basically come out, and it's like if, if you imagine the spokes... Coming out from the hub and meeting the rim in kind of a pyramid shape. If you increase the base of that pyramid, it's going to make your wheel stiffer, right? And especially when we're moving to these to these um, to these bigger wheels. You know, like early 29ers before boost were really noodly. You know, like they didn't they didn't track very well. When you sprinted on them, you could feel the wheel flexing a little bit. And so somebody decided, I, I think rightly, that like we should make um, we should we should have a new standard where where the axles are going to get longer, the frames are going to get wider. And then the like the bracing angle for the for the spokes is going to to increase. And so somebody introduced um, boost axle spacing is what they called it. And so the, the axles went from being 142 millimeters wide to 148. And this crossover happened in like. Gosh, maybe 2014 at the very earliest, 2014, 2015. And it took it took a minute for the industry to catch up like like for the for reference. Um, in 2015, there were some boost bikes, and there were mountain bikes with rear quick releases until 2018, 2019. The Cannondale FSI, I think, is the last mainstream mountain bike. The one you have. A lot of people actually still have these FSIs that have the quick releases out back, right? And this puts consumers in a difficult place, right? Because the the performance benefits of boost are are, are undeniable, and it's it's totally worth it. But it was hard because if you're shopping for a wheel, you have to find out, is my bike boost or non-boost or is it quick release? Right. Because if it's boost or non-boost, like you you really kind of have to have specific hubs and if not specific hubs, specific end caps, um, you know, to to accommodate the different um, the different standards. Right. So people will always say, like, I was just emailing somebody about buying wheels the other day and I said, hey, you know, heads up. Um, uh, you know, like this particular wheel set, there are boost and non-boost versions on the used market. Make sure you get a boost version because your bike is boost. Or I'll tell people like, hey, you found this really cool bike on the pros closet. That's a great deal, but but heads up, it's it's non-boost. So in addition to having kind of a performance loss there, you need to be careful because you ever have to go and buy a wheel set for this bike, it'll have to be used because nobody's making these... um boost wheel sets anymore and to complicate these things boost the non excuse me the non-boost wheel sets anymore and to complicate things road bikes still use 142 mil spaced um wheels and, and gravel most gravel bikes do as well there are a couple gravel bikes that use boost but we'll ignore those and so like other people are in a situation where they're like oh you know i have these old nvm 50s from my scalpel from 2015 or whatever um I'm going to take them and use them on my on my gravel bike, which is something you can totally do because it's 142 to 142. Right. So the, the essence of it is just um, the performance benefit is pretty easy to understand. Boost allows things to be stiffer. Be aware of what spacing your bike uses and, and really keep your head up when you're shopping for for wheels. And then also for uh, cranks and chain rings, um, those change as well. There, there are boost and non-boost cranks and chain rings for Shimano. It's, it's a whole new crank set. You need boost to non-boost for SRAM, all SRAM cranks work with boost and non-boost, but there are different chain rings. So, okay. um, so
1: basically boost means a wider hub. Yeah, exactly. Stable. Right.
0: There's, there's, that was way too much background for most people, but just be aware. At wheels, least we know
1: all the dates. Those are important.
0: No, come on. No. Cause no, that is important. Cause if you're shopping for a bike from 2014, it's going to be non-boost. And if you're shopping for a bike from 2019, it's almost certainly going to be boost. I think that's worth knowing. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's good. Um, and then what was the other question you had?
1: And, and the other one is just what is
0: dub dub? Dub's magic. Um, we love Dub. So Dub is a bottom bracket standard. Now, if you're not familiar, um, the bottom bracket is essentially the piece that goes in between the spindle of your crank set and your frame. And, and the, a bottom bracket is going to have the, the is, is basically like a, um, it's, it's a set of bearings that allow your, your cranks to spin inside of the frame, right? And bottom brackets are kind of, have the reputation for being like, the most tricky part of a bike to learn. You know, there are a bunch of different, like we call bottom bracket standards. And essentially the problem is that if you, if you can kind of imagine you're dealing with two circles and the first circle is, is your, the bottom bracket shell of your bike is what we call it. Um, So if you look at like a frame set with nothing on it, there'll be this big old hole where the spindle goes, right? But the spindle is significantly larger or the hole is significantly larger than the spindle of any crank set, right? There's going to be a few millimeters of, of basically like empty space in between. And as the, the job of a bottom bracket is to fill that space and to provide a platform for bearings to sit inside so that they can, um, so that they can allow your crank set to spin. Right. And, um, for a variety of stupid reasons, we, we got to a point several years ago, maybe like 20, 2016, 2017 where there were literally like 12 or 13, maybe up to 15, depending on how you count different bottom bracket standards. It was really bad for the consumer because let's, let's say I go out and I buy a, um, what would be a good example? Like a Santa Cruz, uh, like any Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz Hightower that I'm looking to build up, right? Santa Cruz uses the most common bottom bracket standard, which is what we call threaded, right? Basically, like there are threads built into the frame and you just screw a, um, you know, screw a, a, th- a threaded bottom bracket in. And then you stick in your crank set. So Basically what you do as a consumer is say, I need a threaded bottom bracket for blank crank, right? So if I'm looking to run Shimano cranks, you, know, you had to know that Shimano cr- spindles had a 24 or the Shimano spindles were 24 millimeters that if you wanted to run like um, uh, certain other brands have like a 30 mil crank, and that was really tricky because there was, there was only like one bottom bracket that worked. And so SRAM looked at this and said, we are currently offering spin, um, crank sets with two different kinds of spindles um, to accommodate the whole market and they said, this is stupid, let's go to one spindle and we will just make a bottom bracket that'll work for everything, right? So dub is essentially the inner circle that we talked about there, stays the same across. All SRAM cranks, they just called it dub, right? I don't remember the exact measurement, but basically you went from having BB30, um, SRAM cranks and 24 mil SRAM cranks to just having um, a dub, right? We call it the dub standard. And then it was like, all you had to do is you got your dub crank and then you just looked at SRAM made all of the different dub bottom brackets and you could say, hey, I'm going with a Pinarello, so I need an Italian threaded or I'm going with a Yeti. So I need, I want to say that was like a, like a BB86 or something. Um, so it es- essentially, dub is SRAM's universal mountain bike bottom bracket standard. And hopefully we get to a point there have been some people talking about standardizing the other end of the equation and making it so that all frames are threaded or all frames used like T47 has been kind of pitched as like a universal solution. But bottom brackets are really, really tricky. You only really need to know when you're looking to build a bike or replace yours. That's something that I can help you figure out. But, um, but yeah, that's the essence of it. So. As always, like uh, we had some other tech questions this week, we're gonna push into next week. Um, Please send them over, you know the contact information, find me on Instagram, whatever, send them over. And um, I think we're at like half an hour now. Oh, wow. Probably a good time to hop into, to the kind of meat and potatoes of the episode, huh?
1: Yeah, and let me just, full disclaimer, and, and in all honesty, I started, I pretty much had everything prepared I was gonna talk about today, early last week. I'd already written down all my notes, and I already decided what I wanted to talk about, and and I, I wanted to talk about hydration. And I didn't I didn't decide this yesterday. I decided this about a week ago. But interestingly enough, I did a a very unintended n equals one experiment on the value of hydration yesterday, and I made some very non-surprising findings.
0: But what Dan's trying to say is he didn't. He wasn't like. 11 hours into point to point yesterday. he's like, do you know what we should talk about tomorrow? Hydration. You know, it, was, it was more like like a week ago. Like, Let's talk about hydration. And then you just went and made every mistake in the book on accident yesterday. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting position to be and, in.
1: And it just really validated just how important hydration is. Um, so Joe, do you think, which do you think is, and this isn't a loaded question th- answer it honestly, which do you think is more important in a 90 minute race, hydration or fueling?
0: Oh, in a 90 minute race hydration is, is my is my knee jerk. That seems obvious, but be, the fact that you're asking maybe makes me think I'm wrong. Got to be hydration. Right? See,
1: I thought nutrition would be the obvious right answer, but Really? But it's it's not it's well, the answer is it depends. Um, for some people it's absolutely hydration.
0: I think it be for me. Like I didn't I didn't really fuel a Nike races. I never felt like I needed to, and something that intense, but you're know, like is this is this is this controversial? I thought hydration was obvious
1: oh well, no, I, th- I thought more like nutrition really, was, like you think you could go an hour and a half
0: in a mountain bike race without drinking,
1: okay, well, maybe not, but But so next week we're going to talk about fueling.
0: I just completely tore apart the whole intro to your hydration. Yeah. I thought
1: thought you were obviously going to say, let's, let's do
0: another take. Let's do another take. Okay. Ask me, ask me the question again.
1: Okay. Which do you think is more, more important? hydration or fueling
0: over, over an hour and a half. It must be fueling. Surely that is the only reasonable answer to this question. No, but there, you are wrong.
1: No, no. How was that? Was that better? the answer really is it depends Okay, because for some people, Hydration or er, er, er not hydrating adequately can um, can have an extremely negative impact on the race, and for other people, it's not as big of a deal. So, so first of all, and I don't I don't really know exactly where to start, but let's let's first to ex- kind of explain why. Um, let's first talk about like when we sweat, what happens. So.
0: So I actually have a question here yeah. as, as a lead in, like, I assume and I know that when we're sweating, we're not just losing water. Sweat is more than just your body shedding water. Because I know that salt, sweat is salty, right? That you t- it tastes salty, you know? Okay, maybe. Like, when maybe. my girlfriend kisses me on the cheek after a bike ride, she always complaints like, oh, you're all salty, right? It's so, like there's more stuff coming out of your body than just water, right? That's
1: exactly what we're talking about. Is that like about? a
0: perfect segue? Maybe too good. I should charge you for these, huh? Yeah.
1: I'll Venmo you. Perfect. So... How many times has Venmo come up in our podcast? Quite Too
0: many. We're not sponsored by Venmo. Yet. Hopefully we will be. I love Venmo. Dan, is there a more convenient way to transfer funds with minimal fees and maximum <laughs> security than Venmo?
1: Okay, Stop it. Okay. All right. I totally even forgot what we were talking about. Oh yeah. So like, so when we sweat, so basically sweating, how we, co- how our body main regulates this temperature when it's hot outside. Is really through our blood because our blood contains plasma, which is mostly water, and that makes up you know much of the much of our blood volume. And when our body gets hot, the blood circulates through our body, and and water is kind of like a a heat sink. You know, if it's like fifty degrees outside, you're fine. But if you're in fifty degree water you freeze because the the water just absorbs that heat from you and takes it away and you just you can't maintain temperature when you're water and so when 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 our blood circulates through our muscles it takes the heat from those muscles and it basically takes it away and transfers it to the surface of our skin where that blood plasma leaves as sweat and so, you know, and then when we sweat, it also has the evaporated cooling effect too, which also helps keep us cool. So really it's our blood that keeps us cool. And, and as we sweat, you know, that's basically our blood plasma that we're losing as sweat. So our blood plasma levels drop
0: as we sweat. What does that actually mean? Like your blood, pl- just because it becomes more or less dilute, depending on how much water is in your system and how much you're losing?
1: Well, it just means that you're losing it and it's going to go down. But so for some people, that's a big, huge deal. And for other people, it's not. And I'll explain why. But first, let's just talk a little bit about osmosis. You've heard of osmosis, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, like that was like the one science lesson that I finally just gave up in high school and was like, you know what? I don't understand science. Okay. Talk about reverse osmosis water. I've heard that. It's like like Uh, everyone's favorite science term that no one understands. Yeah,
1: I don't even know what reverse osmosis means. I should look it up. It means
0: that you should pay $7 for a bottle of water is what I've learned.
1: Okay. So if I had a bathtub and I filled half of the bathtub with really, really salty water, And the other half of the bathtub with pure clean water what would happen to the water would it would they just kind of stay would the the salty stay on the salty side and the fresh water stay on the fresh water side or what would happen
0: intuitively i want to say that they would mix and that you would the the salty part would become less salty and the and the, the pure part would become more salty seems intuitive yeah and that's right questioning everything was that right yeah that's right see it wasn't a trick
1: not all my questions are trick questions okay just that fueling hydration one was okay so so yeah what what happens is the fresh water is attracted and and moves over to the salty water and eventually the whole bathtub would become a more diluted salty water
0: it would become uniform saltiness
1: And that's because the fresh water is is drawn over to the salty water.
0: Oh, I kind of imagined that it would be the salty water just spreading out and, and intermixing. But so it's it's the other way around. It's mm-hmm. that it's the salty water sucks in almost like it like if like it's, it's like a vacuum sucking everything into it. Right. Is it the same sort of like I don't know if I'm asking questions you don't know the answer to here. I, well we that, do not, I mean, we that's exactly what
1: this. This. that's exactly what osmosis is, because you have like. Well, you have there's there's three types of solutions. There is a hypotonic solution, and, and, and these refer to like if you're comparing one solution to another solution. And so there's like a hypotonic solution, which is a lower concentration, a hypertonic, which is a higher concentration. So we're talking, like we're, we're
0: speaking in relative terms here. In right? relative
1: terms. And, and there's an isotonic, which the two are equal in in their concentration of, of basically dissolved solids. Um, and so what happens when a, so you have salty sweaters and non salty sweaters. Okay. If a non salty sweater is out doing a workout and they sweat a lot and sweating is really good. If you're a good, if you can sweat, well, that's a good, adaptation for endurance
0: sports is oh, being, sweet. I must have great no, adaptations. you kind
1: of don't though. We'll explain that later. But, not. but, um, if you sweat, that's good because it helps you regulate your body temperature well. I mean, a lot of times men are usually, usually sweat more than women, which helps them sometimes regulate their temperature better outside. But yeah, sweating is good. It, it helps us keep cool. It's, it's that blood, which cools our muscles, which comes to the surface and and the blood plasma leaves a sweat which also has the evaporative effect. So you're losing that you're losing that water in your blood, your blood volumes going down for a non salty sweater what happens is we're mostly made of water, right? We all know that we're the huge percentage of our bodies is water. Most of that water is actually bound in our cells and the rest of it is there's some that's like in in the area between our cells and then there's the water that's in our bloodstream and that's where most of our water is that we're made out of so when a non-salty sweater sweats their blood plasma volume drops but through osmosis because the through osmosis the the water from their bound cells can move freely over to their blood plasma so they can maintain their levels of blood plasma while they're exercising and, and wouldn't really notice a drop in performance if they dehydrated.
0: Okay, so on the other side of the equation, though, a very salty sweater, this is something they'll need to... They're, they're, basically, they're losing something that needs to be replaced, right? So,
1: so if a salty sweater... When a salty sweater sweats, they also sweat... Along with the water, they sweat a lot of salt, which... And then, which dilutes, it, it basically dilutes the salt concentration in their blood. So the, the water in, um, so the, their blood isn't as salty as it would be if they were a non salty sweater. And so the water in the cells doesn't want to, you know, because of the bathtub example, the water in their cells doesn't want to move over to the blood plasma because it's, it's not very salty. You know, it doesn't move that direction. It will
0: only move that direction if, if the cell was less saline, correct? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. So, so when a salty sweater sweats, the blood, the, the water that's bound in our cells doesn't move over into the bloodstream. So their plasma volume drops and remains low. And, and if, if, if this person, if the salty sweater was just to drink water that dilutes their that dilutes the the sodium content in their blood even more and and one thing that happens is they don't ever their thirst is not ever really quenched they can just drink water and drink water and drink water and it really doesn't do much and the other thing too is they might just you know the the body senses that there's just you know, the, the, the concentration isn't correct and it'll just
0: pee out the extra water. And so, okay. So here's, here's a tricky question. Um, let's say I'm on a ride in the middle of nowhere. I'm in a raid. I'm doing, I'm doing, um, point to point or something. And and for whatever reason I can't get, um, scratch, is it bad to just drink water? In that case, if you're really, really thirsty, but you're a really salty sweater and you can't replace the salt should you not drink altogether or is it still better to drink water than nothing or?
1: Well, I think it's, I mean, hopefully there's enough salt from the food you've eaten recently and you know, that you've, that you can drink water and be okay. But there, there is a a condition called um, hyponutremia where you're, you basically are just too low on sodium. Your blood basically becomes too dilute. And this can actually, I mean, this kills people all the time. And like the, the pioneer treks that kids would go on and, and some marathons and stuff, people just keep drinking water, drinking water, drinking water. And they're basically just diluting. They're just low, too low on sodium. Um, everything kind of gets thrown out of balance. And it's it's extremely dangerous. It's I mean, some people kind of call it water poisoning.
0: So so this is not like a marginal thing we're talking about here. Like like there are probably some people listening to this who don't really drink a, a drink mix or anything. Or they're just drinking normal water all the time and that is like really digging into their performance. I mean, it would have to be, If this is something that can kill you. It's something that's going to affect your performance now.
1: This is actually, for some people, it is abs, this is huge and game changing. If you are a salty sweater, it, this is such a big deal. And if you're not a salty sweater, you know, you're still gonna dehydrate but you can still perform. Okay. And you do, you do kind of create a little debt that you need to rehydrate over the next few days and stuff. So like, you know, if you dehydrate during your workouts, it's going to affect your recovery. It's going to affect your performance. And, but it's not going to, well, it's it's mostly going to affect your recovery, but it doesn't really affect your performance. If you just dehydrate once, if you're not a salty sweater, if, if you are a salty sweater, Basically what's happening is when you sweat, you're losing blood volume and we all know that like one of the, you know, when we're in our peak race fitness, it's because our blood volumes are elevated and, you know, we're able to, you know, you just have more blood to to, for your cardiac output. It's going to help with your heart rate. It's going to help with your circulation. When, if you're sweating and you're losing that blood volume and you're not able to replace it, it it absolutely shuts you down. Like, I've had an experience once where I was, I'm a salty sweater, I was dehydrated, I wasn't really cramping or anything, but my body completely shut me down because, you know, when your blood levels are that low, it, it majorly, majorly, majorly affects your performance.
0: What, what does that mean, your body shut? Like, what does that feel like? What should people look for?
1: Well, your I mean, your hypothalamus in your brain is kind of like your central regulator and it's basically going to say, okay, no more high performance for you. We're just going to keep you alive. You can move, but barely, that's kind of what it feels like. It's yeah, it's terrible. So if, if you are a salty sweater, basically, um, basically you have to consume sodium to, to keep that balance straight. Um, so that you can maintain your plasma volume. Um, I would say for, well, first of all, I mean, how can you really tell if you're a salty sweater or not? I was
0: gonna say, there's not like a test you can take. There are there?
1: definitely tests you can take. The tests are probably the most
0: accurate. But,
1: I, you know, I think a lot of you, if you're a salty sweater, you probably know it. I mean, like my, my jersey after point-to-point point had white. I wore a black jersey, you know. I had white stains all over it. Um, you, know, you know, a lot of times your helmet straps will be, will be salty. We'll yeah, because like
0: my helmet straps are always coated in in salt, like like powder. Like yeah, you know, I could I can rub them in salt. this is gross. I'm sorry for everyone. Like, um, I have to like shower my helmets off. Um, but like I, I kind of because everyone's sweat is somewhat salty, right? Like yeah. nobody sweats pure water, right? Yeah, and it's not. It's also not just salt that you're losing. Right? don't you also lose potassium and other not stuff in really. your sweat? Really?
1: No, because because um, the potassium in the magnesium potassium in your cells, it tends to stay in your cells and you really, you lose very, very little because it's like the sodium potassium pump or whatever. Um, You lose very, very little uh, potassium or magnesium when you sweat, you mostly just lose salt. You get the, I mean, you can be low on like magnesium and potassium, but that's more like your diet that, you know, it's not so much because you're sweating it out. So okay. it's it's really only sodium that we're concerned about here. You know, so so if you are a salty sweater and I think everyone is to some degree, but I'm an extremely salty sweater. I know some other people on the team that are really salty sweaters. I think, Joe, you're a really salty sweater.
0: Oh, well, thank you. You're you welcome. Too.
1: <laughs> if if you're a salty sweater and you're just drinking water while you're sweating, while you're actually sweating, I think that's. Pointless, if not bad.
0: So this goes back to my question. Would it be better for me to just... I mean, uh, uh, like, uh, hopefully there's not an actual situation where this ever happens, but in theory, would it be better for me to drink nothing? I don't... uh, Because I'm hesitant to say that. That sounds... Yeah, I don't
1: think so. I would say it's better to stay hydrated, but you'd have to be very careful.
0: But from like a performance standpoint.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Interesting. And so... So... I think, and here's just kind of a, a, a takeaway real quick is like, if you, I think for most people drinking, drinking like a, a scratch type solution or something similar. So scratch is very mild. It only has about, it only has about 20 grams of carbs and about 300 milligrams of sodium. And, and, and what the carbs actually do, the carbs actually aren't for, um, for energy necessarily. Um, carbohydrates when when you drink the water um, if it's the carbohydrate and the sodium actually helps act as like a transporter to get that to get that water out of your small intestine into your bloodstream and and these type of drink mixes they they, they're isotonic they're not hypotonic they're not hypertonic they're isotonic and if you can drink if you can drink something that's that's isotonic it's very, very, very quickly absorbed into your bloodstream. So you would see almost immediate improvements in, in how you're feeling. Um, so, yeah, so, so really, I would say for most people, just assuming most people at least sweat a little bit of salt, I think drinking like when you're, when you, as long as it's hot enough that you're sweating, I think you really should be drinking like a scratch mix. And more is not better. Like there's there's some... Like Gatorade is is hypertonic. Um, It's actually gonna have like a negative effect because when you when you're drinking like a hypertonic solution, it's actually having to it will actually pull in water from your bloodstream to.
0: Oh, we're like flipping the tables here. Yeah, it's
1: yeah. So if you're drinking a drink that's too strong, you're actually doing more harm than good. Um, So. So yeah, the, the, the people that like behind them, the mix is like scratch and stuff. They, they know their science and, and there's other brands too, but you really need to make sure it really doesn't exceed about 20 grams of carb and, and, and about 300 milligrams of sodium for most people.
0: And, and cause we're again, like we're not sponsored by anyone, let alone scratch. If scratch wants to sponsor us, you know, <laughs> if they're listening, no, but really like it is, I've found far and away, I think the best drink mix especially if like you have sensitive stomach too that's the other one is it's very non-offensive and it does kind of seem to hit that like that middle of the road you know like like the truly isotonic um sort of goal that we're shooting for there because like i've had rides before i drink water 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 completely crash because i'm totally dehydrated go to a gas station buy a gatorade i'm i'm never feeling a whole lot better after that i mean it's probably better than nothing but like and like i i wonder too like um, could you just sprinkle a bunch of salt into a water bottle and have it be an unpleasant, yeah. if not equal sort you of... You could.
1: I, um, a lot of times table salts like sodium chloride and, and sometimes a lot of the chloride will upset your stomach a little bit. Okay. But absolutely you could. Um, now, you know, for me, I'm an extremely salty sweater. And I think for most, for most normal people that might just be slightly salty sweaters, You know, 300 milligrams an hour of replacement would, or 300 milligrams per 16 ounce bottle, I guess, like a normal water is, is, is sufficient. Um, I've actually kind of had to experiment with the amount of sodium that it takes for me. And I've, I personally am around about a thousand to 1300 milligrams an hour, which is kind of on the high end of things. But last year for point to point, I did about um, the entire race. Even in Round Valley, when I didn't think I needed it, I took in at least a thousand milligrams per hour. And I, I have a huge issue with cramping. I didn't cramp once the entire race. I felt fantastic. This last race, I didn't get to have myself. And honestly, other than maybe going out too hard, this was the only major difference in what I did. And it was it was hotter too. Um, but my sodium intake was low and that was the, the only major difference between the two races were once where one I felt fantastic the whole time and the other was an absolute death March. So it's like calling it a game changer is an understatement for me. Um, but then, like I say, if you're not a salty sweater, that would just be excessive. It wouldn't be beneficial. And honestly, I mean, you know, really you need to figure out what the minimum effective dose is because as always too much of anything is a bad thing
0: this is so this is interesting I actually kind of think about this back to back that we have right Where we had one year where you were what just just under 10 hours right and this year you were about 12 and and this year where we had the the combination of you having no salt replacement essentially no meaningful salt replacement and then the temperature being high so i'm assuming you're sweating more that it was about a 20-ish i think if my math's right about a 20 percent difference in in your level of performance right and i'm sure that's exactly you know like the longer the race is the more significant that becomes but like just think if you are racing niker right now and you don't realize that you're a salty sweater and your performance is decreasing that much i wonder how much you could improve by buying a 20 or whatever dollar bag of scratch and racing and training with with just some kind of like um like legit electrolyte replacement like for you we're talking a 20 percent difference which is enormous like this is not a marginal gain here this is like a very basic um, thing that I'm I'm guessing more people screw up than get right would be my assumption
1: I think it's just something that a lot of people don't think is that important I think they just you know like they drink water and they're fine and for a lot of people that for a few people that might be the case
0: do you think more people are salty sweaters than not
1: I I think um, I think it varies a lot but I think everyone's at least a little bit Like, I don't think anyone, like if they just started drinking scratch while they're working hard enough to actually be sweating, that's not going to hurt anyone. I think it would only help most people.
0: Help or neutral, you know. Yeah.
1: Um, I think if, if I think to actually move on to salt tablets, I think you'd have to really suspect or be tested to know that you're a very salty sweater. I think for you, Joe, it would help. It would be a game changer for you. Oh,
0: like I mean, you look at Daneray's jersey after, and I should—I post like a picture on Instagram or something, a really gross picture of what my helmets look like after a month of riding, where it's like there's literally like a, a thick layer of salt caking all over everything, you know?
1: Yeah, I th- I think before you actually move on to salt tablets, I think you would need a pretty good idea that you're a salty sweater.
0: Because we should say like if you're not a salty sweater, or if you if just like a normal person started taking salt tablets all the time you're gonna have like a heart attack, you know, like that's, it's, it's something that like make sure that you need it. But if you do need it, like yesterday, this is, again, this is not marginal. This was a huge deal for you yesterday. Like losing those salt tablets should have ended your race. Nine times out of 10, it would have like Bravo to you, but like for actually pulling through yesterday, but like, you know, you were in a really bad position. It sounds like with that level of cramping and you probably probably did some damage too, right?
1: Yeah, I'm a little sore, you know, and if you're not like if if you're like working out in a beautiful fall morning and it's cool and cold and you're not sweating at all, water is fine. And, you know, throughout the day, you know, water is probably the hydration method of choice. But if you're actually sweating, I, I, I do think that there's going to be some benefit in using a healthy drink mix. And a lot of drink mixes out there like Gatorade and there's a few others like Martin or I a lot of these I'd compare more with like a gel. Um, I love what Stacy Sims says. She, she says that you're basically that your food should be in your pocket and your hydration should be in your bottle. You know, really. And I even know a lot of pro riders will put a lot of carbs and a lot of like really, really high concentration of carbs and in, into their bottles to drink. And you have to know that that's not as effective at hydrating you because because of it's going to actually pull water from your bloodstream. They're doing it more. It's, it's, you almost just think of that more as like they're taking a gel and they just do it in their bottle.
0: And it's like, that's the only way their stomach's going to tolerate. Like no, but they
1: have to train their stomachs. So yeah. I do not recommend that to our, if writers. you're
0: listening to this podcast, that doesn't apply to you. Yeah. The you, pros know what they're doing. Your, your, your bottle
1: should be to hydrate you and your food should be in your pocket. Okay. And that way, you know, that way you can kind of gauge it better too. You know, if, if, uh, you know, and that's kind of why I like salt tablets too. Because when it when it gets really hot and it's starting, to, I'm starting to sweat. I can start taking more salt tablets. I don't just have this big concoction in my bottle that's supposed to do everything for me. You can kind of control it a little better. So one um, another thing to just changing gears only slightly. Remember how we talked about how um, how really it's our blood that cools us down. You know, it comes through our muscles, takes the heat away from the muscles, releases them as sweat. I think really with, with hydration, regulating our temperature for most Nika riders is more important than worrying about dehydration because you'll get dehydrated during a race and then, um, you know, you'll rehydrate later and you'll recover from it. You'll be okay. It's, it's more important really for regulating our, our core temperature. Um, it's really our blood volume that does that and i see so many riders that they won't drink during a Nika race but they'll take a bottle and dump it on their head and and that's great and all I, I do the thing with like a with like a dump bottle first of all don't ever dump them like on your head because then it runs down your eyes and gets in your glasses makes you you can dump the dump bottles feel good but they're only effective as long as it gets your clothing wet and your clothes remain wet because then you get some added evaporative cooling. It makes you feel a little better. It really doesn't last that long. I'm all for it, but I usually recommend, um, just squirting enough on your clothes so that your clothes stay wet. So in, you don't just have to do that in the feed zone. You can, you can while you're out riding, squirt a little water down your back, keep your clothes wet. If you keep your clothes wet, if it just gets on your skin, it's going to dry and you're only going to be cool for a short little time. And it's really not going to have a big effect on your core temperature. But if you can like, while you're riding, just take your bottle, get a little more water than you think you might need. Um, just kind of like Nino always kind of squirts his hips. You squirt down your back. You just try to keep your clothes wet and, and that'll help regulate you. But really It's the, it's the hydration you take in that keeps your blood volume high and, and that blood volume is what's going to make it so you can, it's going to circulate throughout your body, cool your, cool you down, and then it will exit a sweat. So it's really your hydration that keeps you cool. And so, yeah, so you're going to be better drinking the water than dumping it on you, but you can do both
0: like I like what we've done in Nike feed zones in the past where like you know you grab a bottle stick it in your bike grab the second bottle and like the second bottle has the cap open you know dumping on dumping on your jersey or whatever um you know especially especially where it's hot and it's getting hotter you know like most of these Nike races are are blazing hot it's pretty rare to have a Nike race where these kids are going out in something under 80 degrees I would say in my experience of the Nike races I've been to it seems like the majority of the time high heat is a factor that you're dealing with.
1: Yeah, But just remember, hydrating well is what really actually keeps you cool. It actually keeps your core temperature cool. If your core temperature overheats, you're going to get shut down. Um, So make sure you're drinking. Make sure you're hydrating. If you think you might be a salty sweater, um, you might need to do some salt tabs. I think most people, at least like an isotonic drink mix is never a bad idea. I think it's probably going to help 95% of you. Um, and for some people like myself, it's, it's an absolute game changer. I mean, cramping, I want to do a whole podcast on cramping, but cramping, and this is probably only for old guys. It's, it's absolutely debilitating. There's nothing you can do. Once you start to cramp, it, it shuts you down. It, it, it basically ends and ruins your races. So, um, but I, I want to do a whole separate thing on cramping alone. Cause it's quite the, quite the beast of a topic, but
0: we'll have to keep that for another episode though. Cause we've just, this is a, a, a Maybird cycling podcast landmark. We've just crossed an hour for the first time.
1: Oh shoot. We try to keep them under an hour. So for those that are still awake,
0: w- wake up everybody. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. Like this is, this is, yes. Yeah, so like, like I said, I think, I think to sum up, um, you know, hydration is not a, a marginal gain. It's something that, you know, most of us are probably at least doing somewhat wrong um you know we like scratch it's not the only thing that works but I'd, I'd recommend um you know folks try it out if not and then um if there are specific elements of this that you'd like to hear more about or more curious about um hit us up because i think we think when we talk about cramping inevitably hydration will be part of it too so there will be more that we'll we'll dig into with, we'll with, talk
1: about this again
0: well yeah come, come come back again soon cramping cramping will come soon and uh, as always you folks know where to send questions Um, you know, and we'll do our best to tackle them as soon as we can. All right. Thanks folks.